0: Thanks for listening to the Sub 25 podcast. Sub 25 is a ministry of Gardendale First Baptist Church for 18 to 25 year olds. Tune in as we learn how to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. All right. It's so good to see you guys tonight. Hey, if this is your first time, my name is Madison. And it's so good to see. You. I know there's a lot of places you could be. So we're so glad you decided to join us for a time of worship and studying God's Word. So last week, uh, we kicked off the semester. We're in a series called This Is Us, and what we're doing is we're looking at who we are as a ministry, who we are as a group, who God has called us to be. And so sometimes people say, what is sub-25? What does that mean? Well, we have uh, uh, some phrases that we say, and we boiled it down to three words this semester, serve, unite, and bear. And for us, what we want to say is, hey, this is who God has called us to be. Last week, we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see that those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has gifted you. You have supernatural gifts that God has given you, and he has called you and designed you to use those gifts for him and his glory and for the benefit of others, Um, And tonight what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at our next word, that is the word unite. So you have a note sheet, I'd encourage you to take notes. Um, If you're a note taker, some of you may not, and so you just got it in your head. But we're gonna be talking about this idea of, of unite. God has called us as a group to unite together. He's called us to do that corporately, publicly, but he's also called us to do that personally, to unite with each other. And so we're gonna explore this tonight. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And as you turn there, the latest addition to the royal family is, does anybody know? Miss Megan Markle. Does anybody follow the royal family? Some of the guys are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So the royal family being the British royal family, always in the news. So if you know anything about the royal family, then you know that Queen Elizabeth is currently at the top of the royal family food chain. She's 92 years old, and when she dies, uh, someone else will take the throne. Now, either she will die, or she will retire, or she can pass off the throne to somebody else. Well, the next person in line to take the throne is a guy named, does anybody know? Number two, Prince Charles. So he's the next one in line. And then, if he wants, he can pass it off to somebody else. Um, But we can go down the line and we can see this. Now, we we know that the royal family doesn't really have political power anymore. But it's interesting to think about. It's fun to kind of see what's going on with them. And it's interesting to think about the way the world once worked, where you had kings and kingdoms. And when we look in Scripture, we see in the Old Testament, we see that there were these kings that reigned and they had these different kingdoms. And we're going to look a little bit tonight at, at a king and a kingdom. Now if you'll bear with me, I want to do a little bit of history. See, sometimes uh, there's things that happen in Scripture. Maybe we hear some stories like Noah's and the, Noah Noah's Ark, or, or maybe Daniel in the Lion's Den, and we hear these stories, but we don't exactly know how they fit together. And so I want to take a, a running start into this passage tonight, and I want to catch us up to speed, because what we see in Genesis chapter one and two is that God creates the world, and everything is perfect. Genesis chapter three, we see that mankind, Adam and Eve, that they rebelled against God. God told them to do something, (laughs) they didn't do that. They rebelled against him, sin entered into the world. And because of their sin, we see that God's people, Adam and Eve, were separated from God. And we see that this problem enters, and, and if you've ever read Genesis one, two, and three, you see where everything's going well until mankind sins, and now we have a problem. See, we, when, when mankind was created, they were put in the Garden of Eden, but when they sinned, they no longer could be there. Sin had separated them from God's plan and purposes and ultimately from God. And so when you see in scripture, everything looks terrible, but in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see that God explains that he is on a rescue mission. And we see that God says something interesting, and if you read quickly, you'll miss it, but Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 God says that the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head, that the seed of woman, his his heel will be bruised, but ultimately the seed of woman will take victory over the serpent. And if that's all we knew, then again, it sounds a little bit hopeful, but we don't know how that plays out. Well, if you continue to look in Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden But we see that sin continues to abound. We get to Genesis chapter 6. We see Noah's ark. If you think about that story again, we think about that being a children's story. But when you really think about it, the beginning of the story is that there's so much wickedness going on in the earth. That God says, hey, I'm going to wipe out the earth. And the only person that's going to be spared is Noah and his family. And so Noah and his family are spared. God offers them grace, and we see that he floods the earth. Noah makes an ark, and essentially, we see that it's a start over. Even the words that God gives to Noah, he says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. It's the same thing that God had told Adam and Eve. And so we see that Noah and his family begin to do this, but not long after they get off the ark, we see that sin continues to abound. If you ever heard the story of the Tower of Babel, you have this group and they say, hey, we're gonna build this giant building. We're gonna get to God. And God saw that there was much wickedness in what they were doing. See what they were doing. In essence, they were saying, nobody's gonna stop us. We are great. Their hearts were filled with pride and God saw the wickedness of man. So God scattered the people around And, and we see in scripture that God mixed up their languages. It's crazy. Again, if you've never read this, I challenge you to go read it. But what we see is we see that sin continues to abound. Well, we get to Genesis chapter 12. There's a guy named Abraham. Now, some of us know about Abraham. If you grew up in church, you may have sang that song, Father Abraham, have many sons, not songs. And if you've never heard that song, then I probably look really silly doing that. So we see Abraham, but we see that God picks out Abraham and God says some specific things to him and God makes some promises. And God tells Abraham, hey, your seed, your offspring is going to be many. It's going to be more than the stars in the sky, more than the, the, the grains of, of sand. And what God tells Abraham, he says that your offspring through, through your seed, that all the nations will be blessed. Now, don't miss that. God said something about the offspring of, wo- of woman in Genesis 3. And then in Genesis 12, we see something, about, something else about offspring. And so we see that Abraham is old. He's married to a lady named Sarah. And God says, hey, you're gonna have a child. And maybe you've heard this story. They are too old to have children, but God supernaturally allows them to have a child. We see that that child is Isaac. And we see then that Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then we see that Jacob has 12 sons, one of those sons being Joseph. Maybe you've heard the story about Joseph. who had the colorful coat. And so Joseph has this colorful coat, but all of his brothers look at him and they don't like him so much so that they want to kill him. They throw him into a pit. Some of them say, let's kill him. And then they say, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. And so we see that Joseph is sold into slavery. So Joseph makes his way into Egypt as a slave, but he, be- he begins to work. And God's word says that the Lord was with Joseph. In the midst of the pit, that's why I love the song that we just got done singing, how, how God is sovereign, he's in control. Well, we definitely see that in Joseph's life, because Joseph is going through all these issues, all these problems, but Scripture says that the Lord was with Joseph. So Joseph's in Egypt, and, and all these bad things happen, but ultimately, Joseph ends up being very powerful in Egypt, And he begins to be the one who is controlling the food distribution in Egypt. And this is an important role because at the time, there was famine in the land. So all these people from all over would come to Egypt and they would come to get food. And Joseph was the one who would control that. And we see that the very brothers that sold Joseph into slavery, years later, they come to Egypt to get food. And it turns out that the very one who's in control of that is their brother, Joseph. So they're reunited and you would think that Joseph would be extremely frustrated, but he shows forgiveness and he says, hey, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's what we just got done singing about. And so we see that Joseph says, hey, let's get the whole family here in Egypt. And so the whole family picks up and comes to Egypt. And so everything's going well until Joseph dies and the ruler of Egypt dies and a new ruler in Egypt shows up on the scene who didn't know Joseph and didn't know his family as well. In fact, the new ruler in Egypt got scared of Joseph and his family because they were getting so big. It was such a big family. He thought, man, these people are gonna take over us. And so this guy says, I'm gonna turn y'all into slaves. And so they become slaves. And so when we hear about the people of Israel being enslaved in Egypt understand that's how they got there. Remember now, I want you to, I want you to trace the, this line. God made a promise in Genesis chapter three. God made a promise in Genesis chapter 12, but it's not looking very good because that promise has led to Joseph being thrown in a pit and all kinds of issues. It's led to now the people of Israel being in Egypt and they are enslaved. But what does God do? God raises up Moses, who was a slave, but he was actually raised in Pharaoh's household. And we see that God uses Moses to lead this group of people out of Egypt. He rescues them. And we see that ultimately they make it into this promised land, the land that was once promised to Abraham. And so now God's people are are, are in this promised land. But they're now being influenced by all the cultures around them. All the nations around them have kings, earthly kings. In the nation of Israel, being influenced by all these other nations, they say, hey, we need a king. Well, God's perspective is, I am your king. But they kept saying, no, 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 we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. So God ultimately lets them have a king. But he says, hey, there's going to be some issues here because here's what the king is going is to want from you. And so ultimately, God allows them to have a king. And so we see that their first king that they have is a guy named Saul, King Saul. Now, I want you to remember who, who this guy is. Remember his name. Saul had a son named Jonathan. But what we see is that Saul, he looked good on the outside. He was a tall guy. He was tall, dark, and handsome. And so everybody looked at him and said, man, he is going to be our king. So ultimately, Saul becomes king, but Saul made many mistakes. And what we see is that through all these many mistakes that Saul makes that God said, you no longer are going to be the king. And God has another king that he anoints and his name is David. Now, Saul is still on the throne, he's still alive, but David has been anointed king, even though he's a young guy. We know a little bit about David, the story of David and Goliath. It's this moment where David is gonna bring some food to his brothers. He shows up and he sees that the people of Israel under the leadership of King Saul, are hiding from the Philistines because the Philistines have this mighty warrior named Goliath, and they're scared of him. And what we see is that David is this shepherd boy. He shows up on the scene, and he says, why are y'all scared of him? And what David does is he, he talks about who God is, and he talks about how, how, how God is worthy to stand up for. And David ends up fighting Goliath and kills Goliath, and we see that David is celebrated. Now, it's at this point that I want us to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 18. David has just killed Goliath. And so Saul wants to know, hey, who's this guy? Like, what family is is he from? So David tells him this. But then we read this in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse one. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, talking about David, the soul of Jonathan, remember I said Jonathan was the son of the king, that is King Saul. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt." If you would, let's pray for just a moment. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we ask that you'd speak to us and that you would teach us tonight. God, teach us what it it looks like to have community, to be united as believers. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This text that we just read shows that there is an extremely special relationship between David and Jonathan, in fact, it's so special that some people have twisted scripture to the point of saying that David and Jonathan had had a homosexual relationship. But understand what I just said, twisting scripture, because that's not at all what the scripture teaches. We see that the Bible does teach that this relationship was deep. There was a deep connection there. There was deep unity between David and Jonathan. And in many ways, this relationship doesn't make sense in our culture. A relationship this deep, that's centered on the things that it's centered on. And I would say this, that David and Jonathan's relationship give us a good picture of what godly community should look like. If we were to look at the entirety of their relationship, we could pull all sorts of principles from that, but I want us to look at four things quickly tonight. So if you're taking notes with us, you'll see principle number one is this, biblical community is costly. Biblical community is costly. Now don't miss this, Jonathan was the heir to the throne. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, that, that, that King Saul, he's currently the one who is on the throne. That means that Jonathan, his son, is heir to it. This means that he's heir to all the power, all the wealth, all the pleasure, all the material things that were in the kingdom. Jonathan was heir to the throne. He was next to receive it. If Jonathan's dad would have died in battle or old age, Jonathan naturally would have been the next person to step up and take the throne. Again, if you look at all the cultures, if we look at history, that's something that that naturally would take place. But don't miss this. Jonathan does something in verse 4 that only makes sense if he's living a life in submission to God's plan and purpose. Think about this moment. I want you to try and put yourself in this scene. We have David, this young shepherd boy who's just killed Goliath. And verse four takes place not long after. It says, and Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Can you see him? This would have been a good robe. He's heir to the throne. His weapons, everything that he had, he would have been wearing the best of the best. And here he takes it off. And what Jonathan was saying is you, David, will be the next king. It's not going to be me. It's going to be you. God has chosen you to be the next king of his people. And in doing this, Jonathan was letting go of his kingdom. And he was looking to God's kingdom. Don't miss this. This is a moment where Jonathan maybe thought at one point, hey, I'm going to be the next king, but he's letting go of that because he understands that God's plan and God's purpose is actually something else, someone else. And so we see that Jonathan, he takes off this robe. Again, and we don't know exactly what this robe would have looked like, but if we look at the story of Joseph, We understand that Joseph had a robe that was very costly. It was expensive. It it was all kinds of colors. And so it, it was one that everybody would have seen. And so if we just think about robes, I I can only imagine that this robe was one that when people saw it, people would have thought that is the prince, he's the heir to the throne. And so for Jonathan to take this robe off, what he's saying is God has a purpose for David. I'm gonna take that off because God is doing something here. And so what Jonathan is saying is he's saying yes to God's way and he's saying no to himself. He's saying no to his kingdom. Maybe what he would want He's saying yes to God's plan and God's purpose that was put in place a long time ago. And this is what we see Jonathan doing. In verse 1, it says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. These kinds of relationships are only possible when we lay down our kingdoms and set our eyes on God's kingdom. God's plan, his purposes. This means that biblical community, that it costs something. Jonathan's actions were selfless and sacrificial. Jonathan's decision cost him something. It cost him his kingdom, the kingdom that one day could be his. But I'll say this. What Jonathan gained was far greater than what he gave. The thing that Jonathan gave up was not as great he traded it for something greater because Jonathan traded man's plans for God's plans. And we see that this relationship, this unity, it gives us a picture of the community that we should have with each other, but it also gives us a picture of the community that we have with our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, when we give up our own kingdom for the sake of God's kingdom, we gain something of such greater value. So many times we focus on the things that don't matter. Again, maybe it's accumulating wealth, maybe it's accumulating relationships, maybe it's accumulating material things, but we see in the news all the time that there are people that take their own life and they have it all. Or we see that people die, and what happens? All their stuff, it does nothing for them. And so we see that this stuff that all of us put our time and attention to, that it is nothing to be compared to God's Kingdom, something that is eternal, something that will last forever. And as a, as a ministry, we believe that God has called us to be a ministry of Jonathan's. People that would lay down their own kingdoms for the sake of a greater kingdom. People that would unite with each other. People that would set their eyes on God's plan and God's purpose. Because let's understand this that Jonathan would have had to know some of the things that was going on in David's life because, again, he had been anointed king. Even though he hadn't taken the throne yet, the prophet Samuel had gone to David's house and had anointed him as the next king. And so Jonathan could have harbored up all this hate, all this envy, all this covetousness, but what we see is that Jonathan lays down his robe, hands it to David, saying, Not my kingdom, you're gonna be the next king. And so we believe that this is the kind of community that God has called us to have. But this only happens when we exemplify the things that we're seeing in the scriptures, that God is calling us to be a ministry of Jonathan's and it costs something. First, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's free, it's a free gift, but it also means that you turn your back on your sinful ways. It doesn't mean you have to clean yourself up. But it means that you are saying no to yourself. You're saying no to your own kingdom and you're saying yes to Jesus. Yes to him being the king of your life. And we see that this is costly. Flip over a few pages to 1 Samuel chapter 23. We're gonna continue to look at this relationship between David and Jonathan. It's extremely deep, it's meaningful. But David and Saul's relationship was totally different. So Jonathan's dad, King Saul, and David, they had a relationship that was not deep. In fact, it was deadly. Saul begins to hate David, and he tries to kill him. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, we find David running for his life from King Saul. And I want us to pick up in verse 14 of 1 Samuel chapter 23. We read this, And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Even my father, Saul, knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house. It's hard to imagine what David is going through. Again, he's a victorious warrior, but he is on the run for for his life. God has anointed him as the next king, but Saul is still on the throne and he's not just on the throne, he's out to kill David. And so we find that David is on the run and he's in hiding and he has some guys around him that he's hiding with, but something that we see in verse 16 struck me when I began to think about it. It Says this, then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David. Principle number two tonight is this, biblical community is caring, it is caring. I love that phrase that he arose and he went. Some of your versions may simply say that Jonathan came to David, but I love the picture of the phrase, he arose and went. It's this idea that Jonathan may have been doing something, he may have been just hanging out, but he gets the news that his friend David is in trouble, that things aren't going very well. And we have this picture in my mind where as soon as Jonathan hears this, he literally just gets up, he doesn't wait, and he sets out to find his friend David. I don't know if you can see this in your mind where Jonathan's receiving this, this news, but he hears about it and he gets up and he goes to where David is. He didn't send somebody with a message. We see that Jonathan went to him. And I'll say, to the, I'll say this to you, this is what biblical community looks like. It looks like us getting up and going to people. It's that moment where, hey, there's somebody that's hurting. There's somebody that's struggling. There's somebody that needs help. It's me getting up and I'm going to where that person is. This is what Jonathan did. He was purposeful with his actions. He was intentional. He was compassionate. He cared. True care leads to action. And if you really care about somebody, if you really care about something, it will lead to action. Again, we've, we've all seen this or we've heard actions mean more than words. And so I can see what you really care about by seeing how you live your life. A lot of us would say we care about one thing or we care about another, but you don't have to tell me what you care about. I can just look at your life and I can see what you care about. And we can see that because Jonathan got up and because he went to David, we see that he cared for him. And this is what biblical community looks like. Da- uh, Jonathan knew that David needed help. Jonathan's care for David led him to action. It led to a response. And if we're, going to, if we're going to unite, if we're going to do this publicly and personally as a ministry, we must care for one another. Last week, we talked about the, the unity that we have in the spirit. We have a spiritual unity, but that spiritual unity doesn't always play, it, play itself out practically. See, if you're a Christian in the room, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and we all have that same Holy Spirit, But practically, we aren't always united. We allow things to frustrate each other. We get mad at somebody. We don't talk to them. We don't go to them. What we see is that community is is somebody rising up, going to that person, caring for that person, forgiving that person, loving that person. And this is what we see that Jonathan did. If you go back to verse 16, it says, Then Jonathan saw his son arose and went to David in the woods. And don't miss this and strengthened his hand in God. Principle number three is this biblical community is God-centered. And I'd also encourage you to, if you're taking those, put Jesus-focused. See, sometimes when we talk about God, uh, our culture will talk about God. Many different religions will say they believe in God, but as Christians, we believe that Jesus is God. We believe in in, in in a God that is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So understand, biblical community is God-centered. It is Jesus-focused. Jonathan didn't just go and hang out with David. He, He didn't show up and just say, hey, man, let's hang out. And there's nothing wrong with just hanging out. I like to hang out with people. I like to hang out with you guys. I like to hang out with Angela and Hudson. I like to hang out with family. But that's not what Jonathan did. Jonathan didn't just go and hang out with somebody, you see, just hanging out, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's biblical community. Biblical community is God-centered and Jesus-focused. Jonathan saw that David had a need. He needed help. He needed somebody to come alongside of him. So Jonathan strengthened David's faith and belief in God. Jonathan encouraged David's faith. Again, try and think about everything that's going through David's head. David has been anointed as the king, and yet he's hiding in the woods because somebody is trying to kill him, the current king. And so I firmly believe, and if you've ever read the book of Psalms, then you see that David many times would cry out to God thinking that God had forsaken him. And I believe this is probably one of those moments in which David is hiding, and he's frustrated, he's confused, he's probably a little depressed, And he's probably thinking, God, you said I was gonna be the next king, but here I am hiding in the woods. What in the world is going on? I don't know if you've ever been in a point like that and then had somebody come to you and speak some kind of word of encouragement and it changed everything for you. But that's what we see Jonathan doing in this passage, that Jonathan, he arose and he went to David and he didn't just hang out with him, but he strengthened David's hand in God. Jonathan knew that he was struggling. He didn't try and cheer him up with his favorite snack. Hey, buddy, I brought some fruit snacks. Or he didn't say, hey, man, let's just, let's just get away from here. Let's binge watch on Netflix, watch The Office. Again, nothing wrong with those things. But here's the thing. He was intentional with what he said and what he did. And this distinguishes biblical community from just any type of community. And so we see that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. Jonathan made sure that that David's mind and heart was on God. And look at what Jonathan says to David in verse 17. He says this to him, do not fear. Do not fear. It probably implies that David was afraid. He was scared of something. Maybe he'd forgotten God's promises. Jonathan said, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Jonathan knew that David had been anointed to be the next king. That means David was going to be the next king. Jonathan knew that David would not die. Why? Because God had anointed him to be the next king. It was a promise that Jonathan was looking to. It was God's plan and purpose that Jonathan was looking to. And he wanted to get David's mind off of his circumstance and say, I want you to remember God's plan, remember God's purpose, you're gonna be the next king. Jonathan was pointing David to God's word. That's what he was pointing him to. He was pointing, to. he was pointing him to things that God had already said. He said, for the hand of Saul, my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father, Saul, knows that. See, Jonathan was communicating God's plan and purposes to David. And he was telling David, don't forget what God has said. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his word. You see, biblical community is God-centered. It is Jesus-focused. And this kind of community is marked by spiritual conversations. It's marked by you going to that person that needs to be encouraged, that needs to hear a word from the Lord. It's marked by you making a conscious decision to point other people, not to your opinion, not to your good advice, but to point them to what God has already said. That's what Jonathan was doing for David. And that's what God is calling us as a ministry to do. He's calling us to be a ministry that is full of relationships that are centered on God and the work of Jesus Christ. Let's look at how this passage ends in verse 18. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods And Jonathan went to his house. Lastly, principle number four, biblical community is committed. Notice the word covenant in verse 18. That's a word that you'll actually see all throughout the scriptures. You see this word covenant. But it's not the first time we see a covenant before David and Jonathan. First Samuel Chapter 18, verse three, the first passage that we looked at said, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. So we see that in 1 Samuel 18. We see it in 1 Samuel chapter 23. So we see two covenants. We see the strength of this relationship. We see this committed nature. It's, it's, It's not this relationship of, hey, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. No, it's I am committed to you. I'm committed to you. I think about when me and Angela got married, when we stood before each other and before God and before witnesses, and when we made our promises and we said our vows to each other, I didn't make my vows to Angela based off of what she was doing for me. It was me saying, I am going to be committed to you. End of story. And this is what a covenant looks like. We see that there are actually different kinds of covenants in Scripture, but what we see is that, that, that David and Jonathan were committed to each other and understand that this is biblical community. This is what it looks like. This type of community stays together for the sake of Jesus. Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done in our life, we're committed to Jesus and we're committed to each other. And understand that this kind of commitment, a commitment that is unconditional, it is unconditional—is only possible when we've experienced an unconditional covenant, covenant from our Savior Jesus Christ. And once you've experienced that relationship of Jesus saying, I'm committed to you, I love you, I care for you, I died for you, until we've experienced that relationship, we can't reciprocate it. We can't show it to other people. But understand that this kind of community, it is possible. It's possible for us to have this kind of community when we set our eyes and our minds on Jesus. Understand that Jonathan was committed to David Because David was chosen by God to be the next king. Jonathan wasn't just committing to David because he wanted to have a good buddy. Jonathan understood God's plan and God's purposes, and Jonathan was committed to God's plan and God's purposes. So it meant that Jonathan was going to be committed to David. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then hopefully that means that you've said, I'm gonna commit my life to Jesus. And in committing your life to Jesus, that also means that you should be committing your life to the body, the body of Christ, to be one with each other, to to fight for unity that we have in the spirit so that our relationships could be united for the sake of Jesus so that when people look at us, they see the love that we have for one another and that they would see that we are disciples. This is what Jesus told the disciples. In the book of John, this is what God is calling us to do. And so we see that Jonathan was committed to David because of God's plan and God's purposes. See, David was a part of God's plan and God's purpose. And this is so cool when you begin to see the pieces, how they come together. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we see this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you see how it all fits? God made a promise in Genesis chapter three that the seed of woman would be the rescuer. There was a promise made in Genesis chapter 12 that the seed of Abraham would bless all the nations. We eventually see that God makes a promise to King David that your seed will rule on a throne forever. So understand that the seed that we are talking about is none other than Jesus Christ. So for David to be the next king, it was a part of God's plan, that the seed of this seed that would ultimately lead to Jesus, it was flowing through David. And so for Jonathan to be fully committed to David... It was Jonathan being fully committed to God's plan. And although he may not have fully seen what God was doing, we have the privilege of looking back and seeing the grand story of how Jesus was spoken about in the book of Genesis. And we see that it continues through. And then we get to see in Matthew chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. See, when the pieces begin to fall into place, we recognize this. Jonathan trusted God's plan and purpose. I want you to understand this. He committed himself to God's plan and purpose, and he was committed to a king, but understand that in Jesus, we have a greater king. And so tonight, maybe there's never been a moment where you've laid down your kingdom and you've put your faith and trust in the king that is Jesus to give your life to the kingdom, the kingdom of God, but tonight could be that moment for you that you would say, you know what? This life, again, there's no purpose for it if we don't see God in it. Why am I here? Why do I exist? I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. But what that's gonna cost, it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you saying, you know what, I'm gonna lay down my kingdom and I'm gonna say yes to yours, Jesus. Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. And some of you have made that decision. And if you have, and I hope that each and every day you're saying Jesus, it's all about you. It's all about your kingdom. And hopefully that leads to a commitment, not just to the king, but to the king's people.